welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. It's a real mother trucking deal, y'all. <laughs> Feeling those lighters. It's Album Nerds Podcast. Dude, I got Andy and Don with me today. Andy, how you doing, my man? Doing great, man. Feeling, uh, feeling re-energized. Feeling like uh, a sprightly teenager again. Ooh. <sighs> Something about me being a sprightly teenager. <laughs> I was I was never a sprightly teenager. I was more of a seven up kid. Don, nice. how you doing, man? Hello, Cleveland. Sorry, I think I made that joke before. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> yeah, at least once. <laughs> been on the show a year. I'm out of material. It was funnier this time. So, <laughs> all right. So we are the album nerds. Guess what we talk about here, guys. Got any guesses? Nerds? Politics? <sighs> wow. <laughs> if it's that confusing for you, then our audience must be really confused. <laughs> you should probably explain it. Man. We talk about albums. We love them. We love that album format. And uh, today we'll be talking about three albums. We're going to answer a question. We're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time. But this week, we'll be talking about albums by artists from our very first concert experiences. That's what I'm talking about! So is the first concert a rite of passage for every young music fan? Does it leave a lasting impression which shapes one's relationship with music for a lifetime? Let's see what we think about that. So today, each of us will present an album from an artist who performed at our first, uh, like, real concert that we've been to. So, like, Barney and Friends and the Wiggles doesn't count. <laughs> well, I guess it depends. If you're 20 and your first concert is to see the Wiggles, I think it counts. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the concert thing, I don't know how it is with the youths these days, but I didn't, I was late to the game. I didn't really go to concerts. I mean, I was at places where musical performances were happening, like fairs and whatever, but nothing I like was really paying attention to or I just listened to records and the radio, but kids would come uh, like on a Monday, you know, you knew there was a Rush show because everyone was wearing a Rush t-shirt. Yeah. I remember, Andy, you're going to love this one, one Monday Everyone was wearing Billy Joel t-shirts. Oh, oh, yeah. It's lucky bastards. <laughs> <laughs> he had been at the local arena. So, uh, yeah, I was always kind of jealous of that, but uh, there was a day where everyone came with vanilla ice and MC Hammer shirts too. But <laughs> I just never – it never happened. My friends didn't do that either really. I don't know how how I was so late to the game, but uh, I finally got there. What about you guys? Was Wait, So how, how old were you when you – Went to your first show. Late teens? Uh, yeah, I was older than I thought I was, too. Like, I, I was only, I was 16 when I went to my first concert by myself, I guess, or with my friends. Uh, I would have thought I was much younger, looking back on it, but. Yeah, I was actually pretty, I was quite young. I was like 10 or 11, um, but I was fortunate. I had an older sister, and she actually, you know, was pretty influential on my early musical taste. But yeah, she was, you know, kind of kind enough to, to include me and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I think the, you know, just the MTV influence, you know, it was all about like, oh, you know, I got to see this, um, you know, this yeah. artist live. Yeah. Neither Andy or I had cable or MTV, so <laughs> maybe that's... Yeah, yeah. honestly, the bands I went to go see, I'm don't. not sure I'd ever really heard of them before. It was more just like there because of friends were going. So yep. yeah, I was yep. just kind of dragged along, <laughs> but it was pretty influential. All right, so why don't we get into the twigs and berries, the nuts and bolts. <laughs> the wedding tackle. <laughs> it's album talking time. You 
Choo Choo Choose Me? Scott defines who I am as a person, and I will never turn my back on Scott. Looking back, I have no regrets. You should. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe some regrets. All right, so for my selection here, we're talking about punk rock ska group Less Than Jake and their 1996 album Losing Streak. We are going to play a cut from the middle of the record. This is Johnny Quest. Thanks for so much. Now, Andy, why would a beloved uh, cartoon character have an opinion about Less Than Jake? <laughs> you know, I was wondering about that, too. I, I assume <laughs> it's just a person who's named Johnny Class, like, just coincidental. Sure. There's tons of those. <laughs> I don't know. They <laughs> reference name. TV a lot in their discography. Yeah. Maybe there is some sort of tie-in. Uh, but anyway, this is the second studio album for the Gainesville, Florida, six-piece punk slash ska ensemble uh yeah i mean i remember when they played that song in particular which was like man a long time ago <laughs> 1997 i saw them super fun that was probably my favorite moment from that show to be honest so were they the headliners yeah i don't remember for sure so it was them and blink 182 which were just wee little babies at that point they hadn't really broken through yet so i think blink may have been the opening band but i'm not positive yeah i mean it was the show itself was just a lot of obnoxious punk teenagers which i was one of are we talking, you know, we got, you got the piercings, you got the, you got the suspenders, the checkered suspenders. I mean, what no. are, how far into this lifestyle were you? Are you skanking? <laughs> That's Scott. I mean, that, this was more punk than Scott, I would say. So it was really more of just like flannel and, you know, long hair and not, maybe not shot. It's, it's a lot. It had a lot to do with grunge, or at least the, the wardrobe was still feeling very... Were you going to say maybe not showering? Yeah, that was a thing in high school. <laughs> it was. Go grunge for a week or two. No, I, I, I went full grunge, but I, I showered, sir. I don't know if that's full grunge, bro. I think that's... I think it is. <laughs> Self-respect is part of grunge. <laughs> that was a cultural crossroads nexus, that period, that mid to late 90s, where all these things were kind of blending together. Mm -hmm. All the, you know, it used to be clearer who was a punk and who was a ska and who was a whatever, but. Yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway, Less Than Jake, kind of an interesting record. My three words to describe it are greater than or equal to most. Wow. That's <laughs> a little math words. equation there for you <laughs> math nerds out there. You know, so it's ska. It has the the horns. There's a two saxophones and a trombone, and that was a big part of their stage presence as well. Like those horns were freaking loud. I remember that. Um, but yeah, the music is fast, fluid. It's fun. It's more about just like the high energy, and the lyrics deal with just frustrations of growing up, angst of living in a small town, and wanting to escape the boredoms of that come along with it. Looking back on it, the lyrics are maybe a little bit more insightful than I remember being growing up. Like there's some things that actually got me thinking about, oh, you know, that's kind of insightful or kind of intriguing the way you phrase that. Yeah, and I think I was mentioned too, like a lot of their songs either reference like TV shows or specific people that they run into on their, their tours. Uh, so there's a lot of like call outs by name to different people or call outs to like things from their childhood. 
shows they used to watch or people they used to uh, you know grew up grew up with. That's the uh, that's the Generation X like that's where we all came from from our TV memories. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be a big part of of who they are. And uh, yeah, it, ma- it made for kind of a cool community vibe at the show. I remember thinking like this was definitely like a tight knit group of people who were into whatever this was. Let's play another track from the record. This is a little bit of Dope Man. No, it's got to be bass when done. Yeah. <laughs> Making a choice. Yeah, I, uh, I I do really like, you know, when they would have these little instrumental breaks uh, on the album. Um, they're kind of few and far between, and they're they're quite short. But I like that little sample there because you, you have some, some fun bass playing there. And then you've got sort of that quintessential sort of ska riff that I don't even know how to... <laughs> How to replicate? Yeah, uh, and then the horn, and then the the horns come in. Uh, yeah, so I've uh, well, the three words I chose to uh, describe the album are nothing to scoff at. So, oh boy, goodness, uh, <laughs> dad jokes in here early. Yeah. So I, I know Dude has um, uh, expressed his uh, displeasure with, with Ska uh, in, in the past. I, I don't really have a, a problem with Ska. You know, over the years, I've kind of gotten into that period in like the, the late 70s and early 80s. Of course, like a, a British movement, um, which <laughs> I think became known as like Two-Tone, which had like the English beat and the specials and madness. Yeah, I like that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is similar. I, I mean, I guess the, the difference is it's maybe a, a bit more aggressive maybe not quite as elaborate as as some of that that earlier ska but yeah you know i, I mean overall I, I i like this album you know it's uh, it's it's like ska right it's ska punk so it's uh, <laughs> it is, it is. you know it's it's punk with with horns you know uh in that little ska you know rhythm or whatever let's play one more cut from this record it's a little bit of automatic That's the kind of song I would have expected to hear in a Tony Hawk game, you know, the skateboard games. Totally. Automatic was apparently the first single and maybe kind of their hit song from the album. I've never listened to them before. I accidentally listened to some of their other stuff. (laughs) Um, I like the TV theme songs they did on some other albums, but... uh, the three words I used to describe this album are marching band punk. And one time at band camp? I actually, I had that thought a couple of times. I'm like, oh, it sounds like a marching band. <laughs> it's kind of like the kids that were in the marching band in high school got to be punk rockers. Mm. Well, they also, the pop punk, I, I think without bands like Green Day, the ska of the 90s wouldn't have formed as fully because that's it's that suburban angst yeah that's being covered here not like punk punk which is maybe about the nation or politics or just being downtrodden yeah. it's downtrodden because your mom won't buy you Nikes eh, you know but <laughs> yeah. I didn't catch that from from less than Jake which I appreciated I didn't yes there was suburban malaise or whatever but they they weren't as obvious as a lot of the other contemporaries which I appreciate 
I mean, I, I've kind of mentioned before, I mean, one thing I, I tend not to like about that sort of 90s punk era is, is that juvenile or like baby talk sort of delivery. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, there's like a couple of moments where there's a little bit of that here. Actually, I prefer sort of the vocal style of the the Mighty Mighty Boston's guy. You know, like uh, at least he sounds like a grown up when he sings. Very grown up. <laughs> he smells, he, sounds like- yeah, like like four packs a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I think I would have liked this record better with maybe th- that kind of vocal mm. treatment uh, instead. But but overall, you know, I was I was pleased with it. No, it's funny you say that about the vocals, Don, because Blink-182, I think, was known for that sort of like baby niche or baby talk quality yeah. of their music. So like, where did that come from? It's just yeah. like this juvenile, like, love me because I'm dumb and stupid, but attractive. <laughs> But it just seems know. so counter to like the spirit of the music. Like if it's punk, you know, it's, yeah, you know, angry. it's kind of angry and rebellious. You know, it's not baby talk. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why they were asking the question, what's my age again? Because they weren't sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Nice. But um, looping back to Less Than Jake and this album, Losing Streak, it's good. And I think Andy is right in that they are equal to or greater than their contemporaries. Doesn't say much from your perspective, though. <laughs> and the, the, the lyrics aren't cringy. It's okay. It's a little samey. The vocals are, are good. Um, it's fun. It's quick. They run through their songs quickly. Automatic, Happy Man, Shindo, Dope Man, Lockdown. I mean, it's fun. And I can picture young Andy and his... Uh, band geek friends uh, moshing and riding the crowd and having the time of their lives. <laughs> yeah, this was my first mosh pit, which was surprising if you're not expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you hit on something though, dude. Like the friends that I went with were all in like jazz band in school. Oh, wow. I, I nailed and it. I feel like Scott at that time was kind of like an olive branch of like, this is some of the stuff you remember from school, but oh, we threw some some punk in there too to make you feel better about yourself, sort of. <laughs> Yeah, so the album is Losing Streak from the artist Less Than Jake. Uh, Check it out if you want a little dose of 90s punk ska nostalgia. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Is that time once again where we ask ourselves a question? Speaking about first concert experiences, what is another significant first in your life? Um, Yeah, one thing that I thought of regarding music was the first time I got some really good headphones, which I have with me here still. They're I thought you were going to say some weed. weed. Oh, that's a different, different story for another time. <laughs> also concert related. <laughs> No, I got some good like synthesizer headphones in like the early 2000s after having just crappy speakers and headphones for my entire life. And I remember the first time I plugged them into like a really good amp and listened to like a well-mixed CD. And it just like blew my mind how incredibly awesome it sounded in comparison to everything else I'd heard before. I remember just sitting there with them on and just like overcome with emotion of how great it sounded and just like you could hear every little nuance in the music and just like crying my eyes out at it at it, like not even a very good record but it just sounded like amazing what it was, was it uh, what was the album andy you seem to be avoiding it wasn't even it. anything good i won't even share it was, like a, it was like a techno record from the 2000s oh wow. um but that wasn't the point it was really the detail of the, of the music that was just like spellbindingly awesome uh, so yeah, I definitely was sold on on good uh, audio equipment after that. 
Yeah, well, a first I remember, um, it's not music related. Uh, I was actually going to my, my first major league baseball game, uh, with my dad. I, I was probably six or, or, or something like that. So where, where I grew up a, a Yankee fan, still am. I remember going to the, the old Yankee stadium and I mean, it was just a, Pretty much a, a crappy old building. Um, and the hallways are, are very dark, but I remember, you know, walking out the ramp. It was a, a day game and all of a sudden it's just bright and it's just this gigantic stadium, you know, beautiful grass, uh, and the smell of hot dogs and beer and, and piss. Um, and it was just like this, <laughs> it just, I don't know, just a, it, it just a very memorable Say experience. Urine or pee, man. God. <laughs> Piss is not good. <laughs> no. Nah. Um, but anyway, you know, so that's, uh, that, that was a, um, you know, I always think back to that. Yeah. There's something about walking out into a stadium and you get that first glimpse of the field. It's just like so impressive. I don't know. Yeah. I describe it. I was in my forties for my first major league baseball game. Ooh. So it's not that magical. <laughs> Maybe when you were six, it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first time using the potty, I remember <laughs> opening the door and the smell of pee. Did you have a sticker chart? <laughs> like, <were you? laughs> no, uh, my, the first I want to talk about is my first album purchase, which I might have touched on on the show before, but I was, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something like that and saved up paper root money and went to Kmart and purchased Michael Jackson's Thriller on vinyl. Oh, dude, wow. Way to start. Now I was going to get a, I was between that and a He-Man figure because I only had He-Man and I wanted Skeletor. So it was Skeletor or Michael Jeez. Jackson. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. But. Yeah. My second He-Man was a, was Beast Man, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Michael Jackson and Skeletor ended up looking strikingly similar, but not at that's that time. Joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I remember being confused because there was like a 12 inch single of Thriller, mm-hmm. right. the song and a different cover. But it was record size, and it was a few bucks cheaper. So I thought, oh, maybe I can get this and then get the other. And I was looking closely at the back, and I'm like, how come it only has a couple songs listed? So I ended up getting the correct one. But I was – and there's – you know, this isn't a music store. It's Kmart. There's no one that's going <laughs> to help me out. <laughs> so, Well, I'm impressed by your, your pick, man. Uh, everybody liked that back then. Everyone brought it for show and tell. Like every week, there'd be at least one or two kids showing off their thriller album. Did you ever get Skeletor? No, I did not. Really? Jeez, Humana, no Skeletor. I that's, did a, not. that's a sad, sad story. I think I ended up with like five of them because there was like Battle Armor, Skeletor. Oh, and- well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> Bougie Don over here with five Skeletor. <laughs> yeah, I know. He had all the stuff. I had one Star Wars guy, one He Man guy, one Transformer, not even the one I wanted. So, yeah. <laughs> God, tough childhood. I'm surprised you didn't start a punk rock band. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All I got was Starscream. All right. What about y'all? Tell us about a significant first in your life, albumnerds.com slash discord. I'd just like to say that when everybody thought that Duran Duran were dead and buried, when everybody thought it was safe to go back into the groove, watch out, because here is Notorious. <laughs> Okay, so uh, my first concert was uh, 1987. Uh, my my sister uh, and her friend brought me along. It was Duran Duran's uh, Strange Behavior tour. Uh, the opening act was uh, was Erasure, and 
yeah, it was, uh, you know, I remember it really blowing me away. Uh, I guess, you know, as a young kid like that, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know how loud it would be. I didn't know how bright it would be. And so it was just a huge, like, sensory experience. Right. And you were probably wearing eyeshadow and some <laughs> no, rouge. I wasn't, wasn't allowed to do that yet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, Duran Duran was maybe just past their peak, but you still had sort of like the screaming young girl thing going on. So it was just really a, kind of an intense experience, uh, certainly a memorable one. They actually played seven songs from from this record. So this was the album they were promoting at the time, uh, Notorious. So let's uh, let's hear one of the, the cuts from the album. Uh, this was their second single, uh, Skin Trade. I have trouble, you know, ever making sense of, of Duran Duran lyrics. Uh, apparently, Skin Trade is a reference to the Dylan Thomas book, uh, Adventures in the Skin Trade, which uh, apparently John Taylor, the bass player, had been reading uh, at the time. Uh, according to Simon LeBon, the, the singer, it has to do with everybody kind of selling themselves. Um, and the, the quote is, uh, there's a little hooker in each of us. Um, it wasn't in the clip there, but uh, in the verses, uh, Laban kind of uses a, like a falsetto, kind of like a prince kiss sort of falsetto, which was, you know, which was different for him. He said he was uh, channeling Mick Jagger in uh, Emotional Rescue. But yeah, this uh, this is the fourth album from Duran Duran. Uh, they were formed in 1978 in Birmingham, uh, England. A at this point in, in 1986, they were just a, a three-piece. So the guitarist Andy Taylor uh, and the drummer Roger Taylor left the band. So we're just left with Simon, Simon LeBon, the vocalist, Nick Rhodes on keyboards, and John Taylor on bass. But there's a lot of special guests uh, on this record. There's uh, the the Borneo horns kind of steal the the show. Um, that's a that's a trio of Lenny Pickett, Steve Elson, and Stan Harrison. So, kind of in place of uh, a lot of the kind of new wavy guitar and synths, you you have those those horns that that really give the album a, a different uh, a different feel from their their first three oh, records. I, I like those horns, man. Yeah. I need that guitar in my Duran Duran. Yeah. Um, so there is some there. Andy Taylor w was there at the beginning uh, of the recording sessions before he they parted ways. Uh, nobody seems to really be able to identify which guitar parts are Andy Taylor. But this album was produced by Niall Rogers uh, from Chic. Uh, he had also produced recently that uh, David Bowie, Let's Dance, and Madonna, Like a Virgin. But so he he played guitar uh, on a lot of the the tracks. Uh, and this is also the introduction of Warren Cucurullo, uh, who became a permanent member of of Duran Duran in the the years that that followed. Uh, so there is guitar there. Um, you know, it's just not featured quite as much. You know, it's more of a a, a funk treatment. The the three words I, I use to describe the album are uh, Duran gets horny. I guess that's kind of a, a, a double entendre. So, I, you know, specifically talking about the, the use of horns, which was um, it, it, it appeared on earlier Duran Duran records, but not featured like it is now. Um, but also, you know, of course, I, I feel like almost every Duran Duran song has something to do with sex. So uh, so there you go. You're sexy guys. What can you say? Skin trade doesn't have that feel to it. No. <laughs> no. Well, let's uh, let's hear the, the title track from the album. Uh, Notorious. Oh, 
Yeah, Notorious. That's the only song I knew from this record. I mean, the strange behavior thing sounded kind of familiar from the Skin Trade song. But yeah, by this time, I had kind of lost track of Duran Duran, except for Notorious. As a funk-inspired sound, but it sounds more like the previous Duran Duran in terms of the the structure, the repetitive, notorious, the way they, they use it like a, a looped sample almost, it feels like, you know? Uh, but it had that, that vibe, and I guess David Sanborn played saxophone on that song. He was a well-known sax player. Yeah, that's not in the liner notes. So, like, I can't... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Cannot confirm or deny. But I, I have read that before, too. You know, it's about a girl. Lies, manipulation, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Typical, you know, but but done well. You know, <laughs> it had that Durand feel. I wouldn't have known it was from a different era of of them, really. And, of course, Notorious B.I.G. comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, we got, we got to throw that out there. The three words I use to describe this album, Duran follows suit. It feels like they were following trends, sounding like uh, Robert Palmer and that you know that kind of mid '80s, oversaturated, too many horns, funky vibe. Rather than the earlier stuff, when I first heard Duran Duran, they sounded like nothing else I had heard, and. That's how they made their bones. I just feel like they got famous. I don't, I'm not. I don't think they got lazy. I just think they were trying to reset and prove that they didn't have to do the same old thing. And for me, it just doesn't work all the way through. Maybe like the first half. I like it, but it's not exciting to me. Unfortunately. Sorry, Don. That's okay. Hope I hope <laughs> we can continue to be friends. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, let's hear a little more. Um, here's the the second cut on the album, uh, American Science. Yeah, I came to really like that song in particular. I mean, really, the first three songs, all of the three that we we've, we've sampled so far, I thought were great. I really enjoyed. The horn sound, actually, I kind of, not surprisingly, kind of uh, enjoy a good horn here or there. Uh, I thought they integrated that into their sound pretty well on those three tracks. But once I got past that into the rest of the record, I mean, I really struggled to stay engaged with this. I just felt kind of flat and not nearly as adventurous or lighthearted as their earlier, as Rio's I'm thinking of specifically. That record felt so exciting and just freeing. Um, this record feels much more grounded and, I don't know, not quite paint by numbers, but definitely feels more like they're going through the motions and not quite as uh, invigorated by creativity as maybe as, they, as the vibe I got off the original record. You said that much better than I did, but that's what I meant in my tirade <laughs> previously. <laughs> Uh, three words I use to describe this record are really great haircuts. <laughs> um, I was blown away by the quaffing going on there. Just really, yeah. Taylor, level. Jonathan Taylor in particular, he he had a beautiful head of hair. He's no Jonathan Taylor Thomas though. That's almost the <laughs> <a> nice <thing. laughs> Also, also had nice hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed El Presidente, which comes around the latter half of the record. Um, but the rest of it, I, I really struggled to, uh, 
I wish there was more horns on the, on the B side, to be honest. I, I feel yeah. like I kind of lost track of that sound that they had going for them. So, Don, why, why, um, I know that, you know, we've already talked about Rio, but why this album is, uh, is it because of this was the tour they were supporting? I mean, is there something special about this from a, fan, from a super Duran Duran fans perspective? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously at the time I, I loved this album, you know, and, and, you know, they, uh, it was what they were supporting for, for the tour. But, you know, as I, you know, grew older and wiser, I started to kind of just focus on the first two albums. And so whenever I listened to Duran Duran, it was the, those first two because they're, they're great. And then, you know, as I kind of keep go, going back into their catalog, this is one that, that stands out to me. It's really grown on me. I think it's, it's one of their most coherent albums. When I think of the album Notorious, like there's a sound in my head. And I think most of the songs on the album, you know, kind of, kind of fit that. So, I mean, if I were to recommend Duran Duran albums to, to people, this would probably be like third on the list. So I would start with Rio and then the, the self-titled first album. Uh, and this, this would be the, the third pick. Uh, so anyway, so from November 1986, that was Duran Duran with Notorious. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, why not take a minute and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app? Maybe we made you laugh, or you discovered an album you actually enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I always thought I'd see you again. Yay! <laughs> Beautiful. So that uh, my first concert was James Taylor, and that was him from an outtake, uh, goofing around. He wasn't... Uh, hitting the sauce or anything that day from john taylor to james taylor good there transition it's a taylor filled show so james taylor which we almost touched on during our 70s singer songwriter uh episode it's kind of cool i got to sneak this in he got bumped for the dangerous raw billy joel <laughs> in that episode <laughs> so rock and roll hoodlum but yeah, uh, summer of 1992, I went to see James Taylor, uh, like outdoor amphitheater kind of thing, lawn seats. And uh, by that point, like 70s stuff was cool again, like anything 70s. So I went to check out James Taylor and uh, he sounded incredible. Like I was so impressed and he still sounds great, but a lot of years have gone by since then. So the album I picked was Sweet Baby James. And um, why don't we check out the biggest single, Fire and Rain. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain <laughs> Don't you look down upon me, Jesus You gotta help me make a stand You just got to see me through another day So Fire and Rain, kind of his signature fire, fire. tune, first big, big hit. James Taylor has described it as a song in three parts. The first part is about his friend Suzanne who uh, died while he was in London working on his very first album. This is his second. Uh, the second part is about fame and fortune and depression. And the third part is about his struggles with, with drug addiction. Carol King played piano on this song. That's how they met. 
a friend of a friend suggested a piano player for it. And then she says that You've Got a Friend, which she wrote and Taylor recorded as well, was a response to the line in that song, I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. That particular... Yeah, I think that's cool. That particular clip was, I believe, part of the depression part. James Taylor described himself as agnostic, I believe, and or atheist, I'm not sure which, but he said that he envies people who believe because of the, the community and all that, that comes with it. But he, you know, when you're in depression, you're looking theoretically for any kind of hand, any kind of help. Uh, this album was uh, released on February 1st, 1970, drawing from his experiences, personal tragedies as a, as a youngster, uh, that kind of hippie mindset of eternal sunshine and that we've talked about before, that move from the 60s to the 70s. It sounds happy, but it's a lot darker than I've ever really realized before. And it's partially about his own experiences, but also that experience of their generation as they were at the top of the hill and starting the decline, you know. Widely regarded as one of his best albums, I agree. It's a blend of folk, rock, and country influences, gospel in there, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. Three words I used to describe it, deeper than it looks. I always thought it was just some sunshiny stuff, and even seeing him live, I still thought that, but digging in for this and uh, learning a lot about him, wow. So why don't we uh, transition and listen to a little bit of Steamroller Blues. Now I'm a napalm Bombay just guaranteed to blow your mind That was a track that stuck out to me I, w- I was not expecting to find uh, a blues song Or a handful of blues songs on this folk record So that was a nice, nice little surprise I think he carries it off pretty well I mean, he's no Muddy Waters But he's he's got some blues in his voice I think he re- I read that he was actually kind of mocking Some of the like blues rock artists uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. All right, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that doesn't. So he, his, his, they, he grew up partially in the South, the Carolinas, and his older brother was really into the blues. So he grew up on blues records and stuff too. So, I mean, that's certainly incorporated into his music okay. as part of him. It's not just, I think the specific lyrics and things were meant yeah. to kind of poke fun at the, the blue eyed soul stuff that was going on there with the, with the bluesmen of the seventies or sixties. But you know that when I saw him live, I ran out immediately and bought the greatest hits. I think it came out in 77 and I'd never ho- heard steamroller except when he played it live and I, I just want to play a clip that I love of, of this that just blew my mind at the time. It's, it's a live version that's on this greatest hit. Fat fry! <laughs> Chicken chocaine, motherfucking king! Oh my gosh. James Taylor, I didn't know you had it in yet, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when, when I heard that, I was like, this guy is awesome. <laughs> because, you know, who expects that from? I always thought he was some goody two shoes guy, but the truth is, he spent a ton of time in mental health facilities from his depression as a young kid. Wrote a lot of his songs there, and drug addiction issues well into his adulthood. Definitely a more haunted soul than I ever thought. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, well, my three words to describe this record are simple, sweet seventies. I mean, this his sound. I mean, with the exception of what we just heard. <laughs> It's mostly pretty simple and straightforward. <laughs> uh, but simple, it can be deep and it can be meaningful. And I think that's kind of the point of his music. 
he's trying to cut you with some of these words and and his uh his soulful delivery uh and i think you know there's definitely some moments on here where he he does he does hit me and it works pretty well you know it's funny because i i had most of my notes are about how just how monotone his his singing style is but then you hear like that live performance and that's kind of like the opposite of that but the record itself i think he keeps a pretty consistent tone and like that's kind of what i think of when i think of james taylor his sort of it's not really a nasally delivery but it's just very consistent and very even keel to it and sometimes that works to his, in his favor mm-hmm. and sometimes it doesn't well you know some of the songs kind of sound lullaby-ish almost like a nursery rhyme at times sweet baby james in particular that one he was driving from Boston to uh, the Carolinas because his brother had had the first baby in the family, the new generation of Taylors, and they named him James. So as he was driving, you can hear some of the, you know, he made up like a cowboy story, but there's also stuff about his trip. And then sweet baby James, he's he's welcoming his nephew to the world. Yeah, I assumed it was about himself. But, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I enjoyed it a fair amount. Having that ringing endorsement, why don't we uh, jump into Sunny Skies, brighten things up around he here. He doesn't know when to rise He closes his weary eyes upon the day Look at him yawning yeah, I think uh, I think that song is a you know a perfect example of of what you were talking about, dude. Where you know on the surface there's there's kind of a, a brightness or a, a calm, friendly lullaby quality or, or something, but underneath, I mean, the lyrics are as as dark as could be. I mean, the song you know seems to be a, a, about depression. You know, Sunny Skies is the character's name, but you know life isn't sunny at all uh, for this individual. So the, the three words I chose to describe the album: solitude with a smile. Uh, so I do, you know, I, I um, surprise, surprise, I enjoy the, the darkness uh, of the, this album, but it's not apparent, you know, until you really start paying attention to the, to the lyrics. And, you know, while I've always kind of uh, appreciated James Taylor, I don't know, I guess I've been somewhat dismissive of him. I don't know, because I hadn't really spent time with, with the lyrics. And he's not our generation. He's the the boomer stuff. So I think that was part of it too. I just thought of him as some, you know, soft rock thing yeah. that my parents and I liked too as a little kid, but then as I got older, I'm like, eh. And then when I saw him live, I was, I was pretty impressed by his skills. And um, it does seem to me like James Taylor is a pretty darn good guitarist. Yeah, you know, Andy talked about his his vocals. You know, probably underrated. So yeah, I mean, he does typically stay kind of within yeah. a range, but it's a very just kind of welcoming voice. You know, like it's very wholesome sounding. I, I kept coming back to. Yeah, yeah, and it's just really cool to you know juxtapose that with sort of these, right. um, you know, lyrics talking about depression uh, and, and addiction. There's there's so much I want to talk about with him and his Beatles connection yeah. and his first album and and uh, the producer of this Peter Asher and his role in all of that, but. I can't. Yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed reading about James Taylor. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's such an interesting, interesting story. You know, so that was as pleasurable as as listening to the to the record. Go onto Audible, look for Break Shot. My first twenty one years by James Taylor. It's free. It's like an hour and a half, hour forty minutes. He talks about his first twenty one years of life. Intersperses some music. There are some crazy stories in there, and I feel like I know him a lot better and his music. This album in particular, which was the lead up to the 21 years, meant a lot more. Every song had so much more depth to it once once I heard his story from his own voice, so check that out for sure. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going Hall of Fame. Ooh. 
This album is a triumph. It seems like one thing, but it's mostly another. It's deep. It's a songwriter with incredible roots and story behind it all, and uh, it's a resounding yes. Hmm. <laughs> Boy, I was hoping you weren't going to do this. Boy, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I appreciate that it's it's historical significance, and I love Fire and Rain. But to be honest, that the record itself as a whole didn't really hit me as hard as I was expecting it to. I wouldn't be upset if it got in, but I'm probably not going to be the one that ushers it in, I guess. Andy, Andy. I have a high standard. So that's a no for Andy. Yeah, I, I would, I'm going to vote yes. Um, and I would have anyway, even if Andy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I mean, there's there's magic here, you know, and it's kind of unquantifiable. It, it, it's quite a it's quite an album. Um, and actually, you know, when we were going through the singer songwriters at the time, I remember checking out other James Taylor albums, and they weren't as good as this one, or you know, as even I would say. But yeah, so yes, I I vote yes. Ooh, it's on the doorstep. Come down to another vote. We need your help, album nerds. Andy <laughs> keeps shutting down the classics. Don't That's let right. it happen. Not on your watch. He hates these 70s singer-songwriters. <laughs> I know it. So go go vote on albumnerds.com slash discord and end Andy's tyranny. All I got to say, Carol King, baby. Usually at this point in the show, we reflect on what we learned. What I mostly learned was the different types of experiences and reasons for going, whether it's fandom, something to do, my friends are into it. Sometimes it can lead to great things and fandom of your own. And um, when you're young in particular, I encourage you to go see shows, even if you don't know who a band is. You never know. You might fall in love. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, some of my favorite memories from growing up are from concerts. I definitely encourage people getting out there and just experiencing you know, random stuff happens, man. You meet people, you hear things you wouldn't have expected you were going to hear, uh, and go for the opening bands. I think you always have a chance of just stumbling on something interesting or, or, or unique that you might not have expected. Um, another thing I would mention to you is like, man, my tastes evolved a lot since I was 16, as you might expect. Um, so I imagine my tastes will evolve a lot by the time I'm 76. So just, you know, try and take my, my tastes at this age a little bit with a grain of salt and try to you know, be nice to myself at 16, not being too critical of uh, what I was into back then. Yeah, uh, unlike Andy, I mean, certainly my my tastes have broadened um, since then. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, but I, I've pretty much stuck with Duran Duran and Erasure, you know, my, my whole life. But I, I certainly enjoyed going back and still finding sort of new new, new reasons to appreciate those albums. But, you know, I'm glad I really spent time with a, a ska record. You know, I, I haven't really done that before. And, yeah, I, I'm glad I, I spent time with, with James Taylor because I, I guess um, I underrated him before. Uh, and I do love lyrics, you know, so I, I love that. I think any time now when I hear a James Taylor record, I'm going to have to sort of scrutinize, uh, you know, the words. So the lessons learned, go to shows, especially when you're young. Discover music and go listen to those albums of those concerts of the past. And that's when to grow. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls. Gather around. It's our favorite time once again to uh, see what destiny has in store for us next week. Let's give that wad bottle spin. 
Your Musical Destiny is once again to explore albums with a song that appeared on the Billboard Top 40 Singles Chart. This time, you will be traveling back to 1981. Best of luck to you all. All right, just a reminder here that we have two records now that are waiting to be inducted into the Ain House. They need your help. So if you go to the Album Nerds Discord and our website, albumnerds.com, to cast your votes for Billy Joel's The Stranger. Just a couple weeks left of voting. And uh, we're just going to open voting on James Taylor's Sweet Baby James. So thumbs up, thumbs down, and for their Ainhoff induction. Hashtag destroy oh. Andy. It's not really about me. It's more about the artist. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. You made this personal. Okay, what's your favorite record from 1981? What was your first concert? What are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining us on this Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some top 40 shiz from 1981. Thanks for listening. I'm going to try to sway the voters uh, a little more here. Good night, moonlight lady. Oh, no. Is this going to hurt cause? I think Rock so. Goodbye, sweet. <laughs> sweet baby Don. Donnie Lakey. <laughs> <laughs>